I'm going to tell my story today. I've told a lot of stories while I've been on Pay It Forward. I've told stories about experiences I had, stuff that other people told me, stuff my mentors have taught me, stuff that God has shared with me, stuff that I've learned from different places, stuff that my parents taught me, stuff that my dad taught me, stuff that girlfriends taught me. And I've given a history and a background about myself. I'm going to tell my story today. I've told a lot of stories. I've told stories about my friends, my exes. I've told stories about myself, things in which I've done. But I've kind of always told them in a way that is for everybody. And I'm not doing myself no favor by acting like I don't have needs to. I have needs. I need to feel and be loved for the man that I am. The child that I was, the child that I kind of still am, and the man that I'm becoming. For more than just my talent and my ability to talk to people, but for the things that are more difficult for me to express. It's not and ain't been the easiest thing to try to be vulnerable. I want to be able to receive the love in which I'm asking for. I, as a man, have needs. And those needs go beyond sexual needs and eating needs. and They are needs. Some of them may not be expressed in the healthiest of ways. And I most certainly along with everyone else, need grace and patience. So instead of doing what I normally do, I'm going to tell my story. And this is going to be me speaking to one of my own needs. The need to feel and be seen and heard. I am going to tell my story today. As a fair warning... There, just as in most of my content, might be things that are emotionally triggering. There's some emotional abuse. There's some financial abuse. I may even make mentions of some sexual abuse. Which is not typically stuff that I always talk about. And this is going to be me telling my story. I'm not going to try to tell the story of my friends. I ain't going to try to tell the story of my family. I'm going to tell my story. I felt like I was in a nightmare for a long time since I've been like two years old. My memory goes back quite a while. 
um, the first shocking experience I had was with my dad. And he basically, he was coming in the door and I can still kind of remember what happened. And he, I was near the door, you know, as a kid would be happy to see his dad. And I can just remember prior to that point, I just kind of felt like everything was great with my dad. And, you know, as an irrational adult, maybe things weren't, but I just remember my dad coming in from work and I was really excited to see him. And he looked at me and he said, boy, get the fuck away from the door. And I was like two years old and I can just remember him yelling at me like I was a grown man. And, and, and it was like, I can still to this day feel the shock, terror, loneliness, longing, and betrayal that I felt in that moment. My dad wasn't happy to see me. I have done something fundamentally wrong. There's something that I have done that's fundamentally wrong. And after feeling that feeling and I don't can't even remember half of what happened next. I just remember just feeling just devastated. And he never apologized. He never never once said he was sorry. Never once said you know, I didn't mean it. It was just this look of just rage and disgust in his face toward me. And it was just like. I've been living in that nightmare since then. And it's been like since two years old, I was trying to make it better. Find out what you did and fix it. And so that was the beginning of the verbal abuse from my dad. This is very, this feels very uncomfortable for me. I'm always used to weaving in stories and things that other people thought and other perspectives and all that stuff like that. This is very uncomfortable for me to tell my story in this way. At four or five years old, I had a teacher, um, my kindergarten teacher, and she was, well, she was crazy. And to this day, some of the stuff that happened in that class, it was almost hard for me to really even realize it actually happened until somebody else, my mom, came along and verified that it happened. And... um there was a little girl that she was yelling at and did like, and it wasn't uncommon of course to see 
back then in the 90s, you know, kids get yelled at and screamed at by their teachers. I don't know how things are now in 2020, but in, in the 90s, it was very young. It was not uncommon at all. Like, that was just something that was expected, you know. Um, but what was not right was when my w- teacher, who was a woman, um, this, you know, they were, she was yelling at this little girl, and I can still remember sitting in the sitting on the mat, and she grabbed the little girl and she picked her up, and she she the little girl had her backpack on and she picked her up, and she hung that girl on a coat hanger, on by her backpack, and she told the class to laugh at this girl, and then she just left her there. She left her there for about I don't know it was a while. She left her there, and the little girl was crying. I can still remember her face today. I I I don't even remember her name, but I can remember her face. And I can still remember thinking something is terribly wrong here. Even as a five-year-old, I was like, what the hell is going on here? Something is not right. And I remember being terrified of my teacher because she did that. Um, And I remember trying to tell my parents and stuff. And my mom would tell a different story, but I didn't really feel very listened to. And... At five years old, um, she, there was some confrontation that her and I had at five years old and I was dealing with a lot of stuff in my house too. And I mean, I'm five years old. I'm trying to, you know, handle a lot of this stuff. And, you know, my, my parents, you know, they're always yelling at each other and screaming at each other and stuff. And as a kid, that's terrifying. And not only just that, my dad was the kind of type of person that would, uh, call me in and he would do what was called venting and he would vent about my mom and he would say all type of mean things about my mom and just, just, he would go on for, he could go on for hours. And I can remember as a boy, I would, I would want to just nothing else but to just run away to just scream and tell him to shut up. But I knew I couldn't because if he wasn't yelling at my mom, he was going to yell at me. So helplessness was something I felt growing up. And I remember this kindergarten teacher, she, something had happened between her and I, I think maybe I had said something or whatever. And and she yelled at, she yelled at me. And I remember it was like, I snapped. And I remember I started screaming at her. And I mean, I was like five years old. I, I started cussing at her as I, because I, I was taking all the words I learned from my parents. I didn't even know what half of them meant, but I was screaming at her and I said every mean thing I could. And I had resolved in that moment that if that teacher had have tried to kick, pick me up, I would have grabbed some scissors and I would have tried to kill her. I would have done everything in my power to put something through her neck because I said it would be a cold day in hell before I let that woman touch me like she did that child. I will kill her. I was just scared behind the anger, scared, helpless, afraid, betrayed, abandoned. Because all I could think was, where are the other adults? Where are the people that are supposed to stop people like her from doing what she's doing? And I've lived in that feeling of helplessness. Sure, I got good at disguising it for a while, but I've lived that way. So this story, as much as an acknowledgement, 
as much as a healing and as much as a validation for myself as anybody else. Because so many times we're afraid of telling our own story because we feel like we need to see all sides of the equation. And God is the only one that I believe knows the truth about every situation. But the most, the story that he's concerned with, with all of ours is our own. You know, I believe that's what Jesus died for. Was because he was concerned about each and every person on this earth. And so he don't want people telling the stories of other people. He wants people telling our stories. He want people speaking to him about us because he's more concerned about us than any person on this planet could ever be. And I didn't know nothing about God back then. I really didn't care. I was five years old. I was just trying not to get put on a coat hanger like that girl. And I can remember my teacher through she 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 broke down crying. She threw a temper tantrum. She actually wrote my name on the sad face like nine times and then left. You would think it was like a child. I mean, to this day, it's so hard to believe that it even happened. And I remember going outside and saying, I want to go home. I want to go home. I was crying and and another substitute teacher had escorted me outside and I was crying and crying and crying. I was like, I want to go home. And, um, I don't know all of what took place, but the teacher ended up, she didn't even get fired for that. I mean, she was just, you know, they, they brought her back, but she was nicer than she was before. And I never had a problem with her from that point on, but those experiences started to give me this picture that something was wrong with me. I had a teacher and then I had my dad and then I had my mom and all of these different things. And I just had this picture that something is wrong with you, Brandon. You had two adults, three adults that's going on. Something is wrong with you. Either something's wrong with you or something's wrong with everyone else but you. I've experienced and lived with the feelings of betrayal and longing. Just wanting to be held and hugged and, you know, taken care of and valued. And, you know, I can still remember some of the eyes that I would see when, when I would look at, you know, my parents. I'd look and they would be triggered in their own way, whatever they were going through. And they would almost look at me like they weren't even there, like they were like shells of themselves. And I would would try to fix it. I was like, okay, something is wrong. I have to fix it. And so I became really, really good at fixing problems. I was like, okay, if I can fix the problem, I can stop the look. If I can stop the look, I can, I can, I can make them love me. I can make them appreciate me. I can make them value me. And it didn't work. And I'm so tired trying to fix everything do you know what it's like to genuinely not feel that you were able to trust anyone not even yourself 
That's what I've lived in. That world is what I've lived in. And true, some of the aches have faded to background aches. I've had it quenched sometimes with good deeds and good morals and things where I I performed above standard. And yeah, but what does that really mean? Does that make you a man? Does it? No, because at the end of the day, you're going to find out whether you're a man or not because The boy has to still be accepted. The boy has to be acknowledged. The child must be acknowledged. And there's just other events that stuck out. Um, I can still, I can still remember them. Some of them I can remember just like, like daytime, like, and they were, and I'm about to be 31 this month. And I can still remember those events as if I was there that day. I can remember being a little kid in, in, in a daycare facility and the other kids were watching Titanic and I think I was on timeout for something. I might've been running around or something like that. And I was on timeout and I was standing by this, I was sitting by this bathroom door and we were in a big gym and we used it as a daycare. And I can remember, I, I can still feel my heart pumping cause I can remember that day. And I was sitting in the back right left corner by this bathroom. And like, again, some people made this listening may not have grown up in the nineties, but things were just a little bit different back then. Not in a healthy way, but they were just different. And they were all watching Titanic in the front. And and I was really, I didn't like that movie. So I was trying to amuse myself by like making sounds. So I was like coughing, like, like, and I can remember that. And I didn't think anyone heard me, but there was a counselor there and he was a big man. I mean, he must've been like six, three. He was a, I mean, for me and for a kid, that's like gigantic. And he I guess he heard me because I was like, like <clears throat> and, you know, I was just like doing it to see if it could echo or whatever, because I didn't want to see the movie. But I hated the movie Titanic because I was just scared of it. It was all very emotional. I didn't know what to do with my feelings. I was scared. And he got up and he started walking like he was going to the bathroom and he was just walking normally. And the bathroom was literally right next to me. And so I just assumed he was going to the bathroom. And right as he walked past me, he grabbed me by my collar and it was like somebody just like a force of nature just grabbed me. And he was like, and he pulled me into the bathroom and he pulled me. It was like a a stone corridor in the bathroom. And I can still remember what that bathroom looked like. It was like a stone corridor and he picked me up and he, and he picked me up with one hand and slammed me against the wall. And I could just still feel the strength in his hands. It was like, it was, it was like literally being picked up by a giant. And he told me very quietly and very menacingly that I better shut my ass up. You know, and he was like, you're getting on my last motherfucking nerves. And he picked me up and he held me there for like, he must have held me there for like 30 or 40 seconds. I mean, dude was strong. And I can still feel the power in his hands. 
and I'm 30 and I can still feel the power in his hands. And he said, you hear me? And I nodded and he, and he, and he just dropped and he let me drop to the ground and he pushed me against the wall too. And as he was walking out and he, and he walked out and he walked out of the bathroom and I remember I sat back down in the chair and I didn't say anything, but I cried and I cried and I cried. I was so scared and I cried. And, you know, this story has a better ending to it because I told my dad about it. Well, I, I, I didn't, I didn't exactly tell him I walked in and I was just scared. Cause I was, I was, I was terrified. I mean, I was, I, and I was like scared out of my wits. And I remember I walked in to my house and my dad looked at me and he saw that I was scared and he said, boy, what happened? And I didn't want to tell him, but then I finally told him like, you know, so-and-so he put a, he did this and that. And he said, he did what? And he said, where he said, where's the daycare at? And he went and it was like, he got his jacket and he said, I'll be, but he said, I'll be back later. Now my dad wasn't a really big, big, tall man. He was about five eleven, Um, and that guy was like six, three or six, four. And he went back there and he went to that daycare and he drove off. And then he came back maybe about 30 minutes later. And he said, it's, he said, it's taken care of. He said, he going to apologize to you tomorrow. And he went back to his seat and he didn't say nothing. He didn't say nothing else. He didn't say what he did. He didn't say nothing else. And I can remember the next day when I came into daycare that day, I was standing on the wall with my friends. We were going to do something. The man walked up to me and he fell on his, he fell on his knees in front of me and he had tears in his eyes. He said, please forgive me. He said, I'm so sorry. And he looked and he had tears in his eyes. He said, please forgive me. And I was just like, yeah, I just wanted him to go away. And I don't think he ever even spoke to me again after that day. He still worked as a counselor, but he didn't even speak to me that day. And all my friends were looking at me like, bro, that's crazy. And I was like, I don't even know what happened. And I went back when I came back to my dad. I went back to my dad and my dad said, he apologized to you? I said, yeah. And he said, cool. And he just went back to what he was doing. He was sitting on his computer and he just went back. Whatever he was doing, he went back to it. So that story ended up being a good one. But so many of us, man, those stories don't leave us. This, you know, those stories don't leave. Those stories don't just leave you. Sometimes we just become older children. We're not necessarily grown men. We're just older children. Sure, we learn how to take things on because we have to or we feel like we have to. And society was full of older children, so we feel like we have to. And it pisses me off. And it scares me, too. Because I'm 30 and I can't even count all the ways I still feel like I'm five. There are things that people have said to me and I'm immediately back in that four-year-old. Right. So. Thirteen. Fourteen. I'm trying to remember a lot of what happened. Um, Fourteen, I had my first culture shock. I came from a school where 
it was mostly um affluent kids mostly kids on the korean side and asian side and me being a black kid i was just kind of hey you know it doesn't really matter but then i went from one school that was really affluent to um my high school which was not and it was you know a high school that was surrounded by gang territories gang culture and stuff like that and so i know nothing about that and i can remember when i got there i can remember you know walking into the school the first day and everybody was like giant but you get used to that and when you walk through a school and i remember not really knowing anybody and i remember walking in the school and somebody said you know somebody was like bitch and i remember looking thinking somebody was about to fight or something like that but it was just two girls just calling out each other's names and they went up and hugged each other and i remember my eyes were so big i was scared man i mean and i was rightfully so um i can remember thinking that i'd found my footing and just being in class with some friends and there's this one kid that I came to school with and that came for, he could also come from my middle school. And I was like, and I thought we was, you know, sort of getting along, but I was, he was teasing me and I was teasing him and I was with my friend who was bigger than me. So I guess he didn't, you know, want to mess with me, but I guess it really upset him. Um, I, I really didn't know how much it upset him, but, uh, he caught me in the lunchroom and I was getting pizza cause you know, we would get, um, we had a hookup, so we'd get Domino's pizza and we'd get hooked up or whatever. And I remember walking over to him and, you know, and, and, and he walked over to me or something like that. And, and he just slapped a piece of pizza out of my hand. And I remember just crying and screaming and saying, man, like, you know, what's your problem, man? Why'd you do that? And then he turned around. And in that moment, I could tell that he was like, he was about to like, like actually hit me and I would have never been in a fight before. I didn't even know what that was like. And I was scared. Like I realized not only could he hit me, he could very well beat the crap out of me. And I didn't know how to any, any tools or anything like that. And he started pushing me and I was like, and I looked back towards the friends that I did have and they ignored me. They were like, I don't know you. And I was a ninth grader, just must've been maybe a, a month in school. And right when he was about to, to fight me, some seniors that I happened to have in, in in the class, they saw him doing that and they came over to me and they was like, why you put, it was like, why are you doing that to him? And he was like, no, nah, he got to do this. He got to fight me. And it was like, well, no, if you got to fight, if he got to fight you, then we all fighting you. And then he looked at it and he looked at it and he waited out. And him and his friend waited out and they said, no, nah, we ain't even doing that. They said, we don't know one, no parts of that. And I remember just crying in relief and some other things. And I was, I was just, I, I cried a lot. And I remember they put me, they, they, I was fortunate enough. They put me all the way to the front of the line because everybody saw what they get. And the dude gave me another piece of pizza. Boy, look, guy looked me in the eye and he said, welcome to Dorsey. And I never forgot that. Even to this day, talking about it, it's like I can still remember being there. And all that time, I was just a scared little kid in a 14-year-old body. Scared little four-year-old. Trying to make sense of everything. I couldn't even have make sense of what happened. I just wanted to eat and go home. I didn't want nothing to do with that kid. 
And I can remember just constantly feeling like I was living in helpless, have lived in helplessness, loneliness, longing. And I can't even start on the jealousy. The jealousy that I've, I've felt over the years, I saw girls that I was like and would be attracted to and I would always feel like I could never say anything to them. I never had the right words. So what I would do is I would invent this person in my head that did say the right thing and did say the right words and did have the right things to say. And every time I missed a situation, I would go to this place in my mind where I did say the right thing. And sometimes I could convince myself that I actually had done so. Sometimes being able to convince myself actually enabled me to say the right things to people because I'd run through the situation a hundred thousand times in my head and I would just try to do it. I try to imitate that person that I created in my head. And it would be even more devastating when it would be like the people that I thought I loved would see right through it and they would just they laugh at me, they'd clown me, they'd make fun of me. I also had a friend who um really messed my self-esteem up for most of my life. Um, any particular secret I told him, he'd tell everybody, and I would always go back to tell him more secrets because I would always say, you know, maybe he'll change one day. And he didn't. You know, I would always just hope that he would see my, my value and my friendship, and he would just be meaner and meaner and meaner and meaner. And I believe that we were friends all the way throughout elementary school to high school. And to this day, I still feel shame about all that stuff. I I still feel that. All that evidence... All of those physical signs of evidence, emotional signs of evidence that all point to one thing, that there has got to be something wrong with you. Because if somebody else saw those things in you, then they must be true. And I can just remember just constantly trying to fight this image of myself. From the different things that I had experienced, constantly trying to make the person on the outside match the person on the inside. And so that's when I started to get obsessed with the idea of fashion and dressing nice and smelling good and stuff. Because one day I realized I could do it and I realized I had a talent for it. And it got me the type of attention that I was looking for. And it made me one step closer to trying to realize this actual person that was inside of me. And so I became obsessed with the idea of learning how to do that, of learning how to have the right image, the right this and that. And I said, if I can't control nothing else, if I can't control that they like me, I can control their perception of me long enough to where when they figure out that I'm not worth something, which was what my belief was that they won't leave me. 
six-year-old kid, 16-year-old body. All the while, my dad was constantly telling me how I needed to get a job and I needed to start looking at stuff. And here I am, intelligent, but all my friends are planning on going to four-year colleges and they're good enough to be able to do so. And me, I'm still just kind of just basically cruising by. So much stuff, man. I, I, I'm just trying to make it happen, you know, and. Then one of my friends has got the nerve to start talking about. And I mean, this is one of my friends who used to be he was a fighter and a and a and a and somebody that was interested in, you know, always talking about, you know, girls and this and that. And he was somebody that. I could at least call a big brother figure in that sense because I was desperately looking for somebody to to tell me that they had some kind of idea of what they wanted me to do with myself. I didn't know my my dad was not helping me and my my mom was expecting me to help her in ways that I didn't even know how to. And. Every day I'm coming back to the house and my dad's got a new reason to cuss at me, a new reason to yell at me, a new reason to 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 to, to make me feel like I was the worst person on the planet. And he might do that just because it was a Tuesday. He might just decide he wanted to do it. Maybe he hadn't even been yelling long enough. There were literally times where that man would tell me, you getting too comfortable around here. I can feel the shame and embarrassment running through my body even when sharing this stuff. And I can also feel some relief. Because at the very least, even if the picture ain't entire, it's honest. Right. So I can just remember my friend who was a fighter and had this and he all of a sudden has the nerve to start calling himself converted and is a Christian. He starts going to this church and he starts telling me, God, this and God, that and I need to repent. I need to repent of my sins because God, 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 God. And I'm trying my best and I'm sitting here looking at you like you goddamn clown. Because in my heart, I'm like, if God is real and he's some kind of all powerful force, he's an, he's a being above all beings, a name above all names. Where the hell has he been? Either he just is casually watching what I'm going through and doesn't care. Or he ain't real enough to care at all. And I was like, either person, I don't want God no goddamn thing to deal with. I don't want no parts of that. And I'm like, so either you, you, you allowing all these people to abuse me and say all these crazy things to me and stuff like that. I said, you allowing that, which means that you must approve of it, which means you must agree with it. Any God that would agree with something like that ain't not a God I want to be a part of. 
I was still desperate. Desperate for something. Desperate for some sense of solidity, some sense of meaning, some sense of any goddamn thing. Four years old still. 17-year-old body. Four years old on the inside, though. Oh, sure, I've got the desires. I've got the, you know, I can look at, you know, I can look at a woman and think she's fine. I doesn't necessarily mean I even know what to do with it. I got gangbangers and hood niggas starting to tell me, oh, bro, you ain't, you ain't, you ain't, you still a virgin, bro? Yeah, bro. What you thought I was going to be? I just came from playing Sega Dreamcast and you worried about whether I'm smashing somebody, bro. I'm lost. But I can't tell that to the hood, niggas. Because politics back then, you couldn't just get away with saying stuff and people would acknowledge what you said. There were things that you could say in an environment like that that would literally get you jumped. I watched people get jumped for some things that they said. So you couldn't say that you wasn't interested in having sex, that you wasn't a virgin, that you was a virgin or something like that back then. You couldn't say stuff like that. Stuff was spread around the school. You would get jumped over stuff like that. So I... Tried to front. Oh, yeah, man. You know, that's something I'm going to do. Eventually, I'm going to get to it, you know. <laughs> Hear my friend talking about. Oh, you you should repent. Repent for what, nigga? Living? Existing? And the who? Yeah, I definitely had issues with that. He was like my big brother, though. So, yeah, I went to church. Yeah, I came through. I eventually went. Because he was always bragging about it, always saying, oh, this is a great place, man. You got to come, man. You got to come. You got to be involved. You got to be involved. And I said, all right, man, you seem to be real serious about this. I'll come one day. And it wasn't that same day he got up there and gave a testimony about how he prayed me into the church. And everybody around there was looking at me. They turned back and started applauding and. And I remember just looking and feeling so disgusted and so shocked and so betrayed. Like, bro, how could you do something like that? I thought this was personal. Was this just for accolades, nigga? And all it did was reinforce the idea that I'm only valuable for my talent and what I can do. As if what you can do makes you a person. That don't make you nothing. That just means that you have a gift. That doesn't make you mature. It doesn't make you an adult. It does not make you capable. It just is a gift. And I felt very, very alone and used and abandoned again. But the pain had become so normal. I said, I. It ain't like it's the first time. It ain't like it's going to be the last time. You feel me? And that was the way in which I felt about things.
And I remember sitting in that youth church thinking, I'm never coming back here again. And I didn't come back for a long time. But that same friend came to me and said, hey, bro, um, I asked my pastor about the questions you asked me about God. And they said that if you want to know if God is really real and really cares about you, ask him for something, a sign, something that nobody else can verify that you know that that you and then don't tell nobody you asked him, but ask him for that. And I said, all right. So I finally did it. I came to God and I didn't have no nice names to say to him. I didn't have no God, holy God, nothing like that. I said, look here. You talking all this stuff about you, God and everything like this. And I'm saying this inside myself. I said, all right, we got prom coming up. I want you to bless the homie. He ain't got no money. He's broke. He's talking about, oh, God is blessed and highly favored me, but man can barely get around the city. I said, he ain't got no money. Take care of his prom in a way that I can't that I can't deny or refute was you. And I'll come and I'll give my life to the Lord. And I said, but if you don't, this will be the last time I ever speak to you. I had felt so betrayed and so let down, so ignored by God. I said, it's the one thing you said. You can't even answer this on behalf of the homie. I said, I guarantee you I'll go my own way. This will be the greatest validation I have to go my own way and figure this out myself. I'll never speak to you again. And maybe, you know, it was other than so the prom season was going. And, you know, I, I didn't really have really any major issues with prom and stuff like that, but Prom was a big deal for high schoolers, you know, and here I am still six year old, 17 year old body. Sure. I know how to ride the bus now. I know how to get around the city, but at the same time, I'm still feeling like I'm a little boy in this body, this grown body. And all I'm doing is like, I'm like trying to imitate an adult. And we get to the end of the city we get to the end of that week or something like that or the last week and he tells me that uh a mentor that he had or something like that found out about his situation he told her about his situation and she paid for everything for him she just blessed him and it was the exact thing that i had asked god for and it was so exact because i hadn't said anything I said, there's no way that that would have happened lest someone was listening. And for me, that's what that meant. And his prom went out. It was it was an amazing thing. It was so amazing. I, I honestly said, you know what? And for the first time in my life, I felt like I had hope. I was like, he heard me regardless of how I talked to him, regardless of what I say. He heard what I had to say. And yeah, maybe I don't really believe in all this Jesus stuff like that, but damn if I can't give it a shot. So I remember showing up one day and they were talking about the whole 
what if you die and go to hell thing, whatever it is. And anyways, I said, well, I can try it and I'll accept Jesus or whatever it is. Do their little ritual, accept Jesus. And I'll try it as an outside observer. And if it's fake, I'll be leaving and I'll never come back. I said, I'll be able to tell everybody. I say it's fake. So that's how I ended up getting accepted. You know, I accepted Jesus and I thought, man, I made it now. I've got a community full of smart people, elders, people that are spiritual. You know, my dad wasn't really spiritual. My dad was atheist. You know, my mom was just kind of, you know, just kind of God source energy. She's kind of always been like that. So I was like, hey, this is the first time I feel like I'm around people that can actually help me with some stuff, man. Yeah, that didn't that didn't work out very well. I admired the pastor a lot. He was a very um, knowledgeable person. He seemed like he was very down to earth, um, had a really cool house and stuff like that. And he was just, he was very, just much more down to earth, you know, it seemed like he was a very spiritual and very wise guy. And so I was like, I wanted him to acknowledge me as a son. I just wanted to be connected. I wanted to be there. So I would, I would go, I'd spend hours, I'd be working and stuff like that, you know, just trying to be connected with the church. So I spent all my time in the church and I would just devote my time to just being around and stuff like that. And I really wanted to, to grow and understand because I wanted to be accepted. I wanted him to say, see, you know, you're, you're a good son. Cause I wanted to hear from him what I didn't hear from my dad. You're a good son. Okay. 20 year old body. Five year old kid. Just wanted to hear his daddy say, good job. I love you. I believe in you. I support you. And then I ended up in my first real relationship with a young lady and I pursued her for a while. Um, Neither of us were really emotionally available. She definitely wasn't, but that was like catnip to me. I was like, hell yeah, that's what I want. You know, if I can get her, I know that I'm a good person because all this was was trying to prove that there wasn't something wrong with me deep down. I'm trying to find out the truth. If there's something wrong with me or if there isn't something wrong with me. So I'm like, if I can pursue this girl and get this girl to love me, then I know something is not wrong with me. And I pursued her and I gained some maturity. And she did. And we did end up dating for a while. And I did feel like, I had done something for a minute and then I realized like, this isn't really the person that I want. This isn't really what I want. And so yeah, I self-sabotaged a lot of that relationship too. Um, the church that I was in was always telling us like, Oh, you're not supposed to be with this person. God said, this ain't the right person for you. And man, I still feel anxious talking about a lot of this stuff, but I'm saying this because I, I need to tell my story for my sake. 
she, you know, eventually I'd split up with her and I'm trying over here trying to get approval from, you know, this person who is running the church and I'm trying to get approval from all of them. And so I'm, I'm splitting from this girl and it's not the way I really wanted to, but I'm feeling like, Oh, I'm obeying God. And so she, I broke up with her out of nowhere and, you know, we're still kind of like talking to each other, but at the same time I've broken up with her and I'm somehow trying to hold on to this idea that eventually after a few months, God's going to bring us back together and nah. And then I got involved in a situation where I'm just trying to make things, make things make sense and all this stuff like that. And, I end up emotionally cheating on this girl, even though we ain't even talking. I'm still cheating. on. I'm like emotionally cheating on this girl. I get in a conversation with a girl on the phone. I really didn't expect or didn't want to have. But somewhere in my unconscious, I was like, yeah, I want this to happen because I want to self-sabotage this relationship because I need to prove that something is wrong with me. Y'all see where I'm going with this? 21 years old, five-year-old body. Well, five-year-old mind, 21-year-old body. And I know I can't be the only one out here to feel like that on most occasions. And that girl, you know, we end up, you know, we end up, you know, splitting off more and more. And she ends up dating my best friend at the time. And this was like my best, best friend, like. This was like my best, best friend. I was sharing with him deep things that were going on in my relationship. And he was using all of that stuff to seduce this girl. And she was all for it. And, you know, they didn't, they, 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 they kept it from me, which maybe was guilt or respect or whatever it was. Hey, look, the hell if I know. I'm not trying to tell their story. I'm just trying to tell mine. I can't even tell you niggas if it's all right. I'm just trying to tell you that this is what I've experienced. And it was like the day after my birthday, they decided to tell me. And I can still remember the terror and the shock and the betrayal and the Almost like it was almost like a rush. I mean, a a terrible, nasty rush, but a rush all the same. And I can remember what it was like. And, and, And for nine years past that point, it was like I've been on fire on the inside. It's literally like burning. Like somebody has lit you in on on fire from the inside. When you are grieving and your heart is broken, it is literally like you are on fire. And I could remember the shock and betrayal and resentment and shame and almost relief, though. Too, because I was like, at least I finally found out the answer. 
I feel like I've been searching for that answer of what exactly is wrong with me and been waiting for somebody to finally be able to tell me, even though there very well is nothing wrong with me. There has been something that is like, but because your dad said it, it had to have been true. And I felt a little relieved. I said, maybe I found the answer. Maybe I found out why I'm still this kid on the inside. 22 years old. Five-year-old on the inside still. Just trying to figure it out. And my father... trying to goad me into survival comes to me and tells me because he was a very observant man comes to me and tells me I know why she left you and I'm like I don't want to know why you told me he says I know why she left you he says she left you because she resents you unsolicited advice didn't even ask him but he just decided I'm going to tell you He said, she resents you. She said, because she's had to work and struggle and hustle and you haven't. He said, she is looking for somebody to take care of her and you are not able to do that. He said, that's why she left you. You you know you believe that man thought he was helping me in that moment. Look, this is the type of stuff that I've seen. This is why when people tell me things like, wow, bro, you're really good at communicating. I'm like, no shit. Because I've spent my entire life. Trying to find a way to connect with people who seem like they are incapable of understanding the most basic things. I've spent my entire life trying to be safe. Trying to feel and foster a sense, a place of safety in which I can grow in. So, yeah, I don't care very much when somebody pats me on the back for my talent and skill. What does matter is when people look and they say, I value you. And I am interested in what it would mean. To support and hear and understand what you are saying. If you cannot do that, at least be someone that can help with it. Or someone that is willing to help. Even if you don't even know what to say. Maybe the person doesn't need you to know what to say. Maybe they just need you to be there. And be present. really all that happy when people thank me for a talent that God gave me 
Because that talent didn't spare me that feeling of brokenness, of emptiness, of rage, of resentment, of longing, of overwhelming desire. It didn't spare me. And a lot of your favorite celebrities, it ain't spare them either. I'm somebody that has longed for healthy connection and healthy community. And we are fostering a lot of that in the spiritual community in which I'm in. And there are still areas in which we have a long way to go. And it is still sometimes frustrating and relieving to feel like I am the most emotionally intelligent person in any environment. Frustrating because it doesn't allow me to always see and feel safe to have my own needs expressed, but relieving in the sense that I know that if no one understands me, then it's very difficult for somebody to accurately judge you. Three years old, five, five year old on the inside, crying, feeling like I was on fire every day. Asked God the question one time while I was going through this, who am I? And he said, who do you want to be? I said, what kind of bullshit question is that? Who do I want to be? What point does that even mean? What does that even mean? And. What he told me in that moment was, whatever you truly want to be, you already are. You just haven't come to understand that yet. I'm 30 years old and I've made a lot of progress. I've worked through a lot of emotional things. I've done a lot of grief recovery. I've done a lot of um, emotional healing. I've sat with my feelings. I've made a lot of progress there. And I'm 30 and I still don't understand the entirety of what that means. And maybe I'm not supposed to yet. But no, I don't want to hear no weak ass platitude about you're so brave. You're so you're so eloquent. Okay, yeah, that's true. But that does not speak to the person that only speaks to their ability and to somebody who has has dealt with situations in which they were gauged entirely upon their love being given upon performance. It does not bring them a sense of safety. If you are going to minister to people that are talented Reach them about things that matter and reach me about things that actually matter, such as you are somebody who has kept your commitment. I admire the way that you keep promises to yourself. I admire the way that you are open and willing to grow. I admire the person you are right now, even if I can't put that into words that what we desire or just give somebody a hug 
Because when we admire people for our talent, that's not about them. That's about us. When we admire people for their performance, that ain't about them. That's about us. That's about our desires projected onto somebody else. That ain't about them. It's about us. The last part that I'm going to go over, because I ain't going to go through all of this stuff, because if I was just going to talk about this, I literally would be talking about it until I felt exhausted. And right now, I'm 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 wanting to tell my story, but at the same time, I don't want to just entirely relive every little thing that I went through right now. Twenty five, I had met somebody, um, a mentor, a spiritual mentor, and he blessed my life a lot. Um, I heard a lot because of him, and I was blessed a lot because of him. And basically he came at a time where I was just desperate for somebody to reach out to me, to care, to understand. And when I connected with him, he just understood. He just knew he understood what my concerns were. And more importantly, he would take time and just listen to me. There were things that I'd always wanted from my dad that my spiritual father was able to do for me. My dad never helped me get a bank account. My spiritual father helped me get it set up. And he wasn't even in the area. He was on the phone with me. He says, I'm going to stand, sit with you, and I'll walk you through the process. There was nothing that I was not able to tell him that he wasn't just able to just either laugh about it or say, oh, yeah, you know, it's all good. He said, that's just a part of your process. You know, we're going to pray. We're going to do this and that. I can remember him telling me, he said, son, there's nothing that you've ever been through that I haven't been through. And if we ain't been, if I don't have the answer to it, we're going to pray and God going to give us the answer. And I at least felt like somebody was in my corner. He encouraged me to go to school. I wasn't interested in that. I wanted to prove that I was good enough by having a girlfriend. And he was just like, yeah, that's not really the path that God really needs you to be on right now. And I was pissed. I didn't want to hear nothing about that. I was like, bro, I don't want to hear anything about that. At 30, I can kind of understand now why he said what he said. But at, at 26, at 25, I was pissed. I ended up going to school. Um, He inspired me to go to school. I did learn a lot about myself, about others. Um, And then things just kind of went downhill from there uh, with myself and him. He started going through a particular set of things. And he started asking for more and more things. They started to become more and more inappropriate as time passed. He would... And for for those who are not Christians, it's common to see someone say like, you know, uh, talk about sowing seed. Um, So you'll hear me use that term. Uh, Sowing seed. He would ask for seed. Um, You know, he'd ask for some money or something like that as as a as a seed. And and so, you know, as he was my mentor at the time and I had more money than I'd ever had before. So I didn't mind just giving, you know, to him every now and then. But that every now and then became frequent and more frequent and more frequent, and more frequent, and then he began to ask for larger, and bigger, and crazier things, you know, he would end up short on rent, and he would ask me to pay his, to pay his rent for him, and I wasn't even working a job, there were times where I literally sold my entire financial aid check to pay his rent, it, it went very deep, and I'm not going to go into the entirety of what happened, but suffice to say that I was taken for a lot of money, 
a lot of money. A lot of money. And the more I asked, the more he asked, the more I gave until I literally was like, I can't give any more. And he just, and he would get angry. You know, he would, he would imply that I was running the risk of displeasing God if I didn't help him. But the straw that really broke the camel's back with me was, was when I was 28 and I was just about to leave school and my dad was struggling because he had stage four cancer. So that was a thing, too. And so me and my mom are trying to help and my mom's carrying the brunt of the physical stuff. But I'm trying to keep my dad's spirits up and stuff like that because we but we all are pretty much certain that he's going to die pretty soon. And so I'm we're trying to keep my dad's spirits up and everything like that. And I don't really even know what the flip is going to happen next. And my spiritual father knows the stuff is going on, but he's constantly asking me for money, constantly asking me for money, constantly asking me for more money. He knows. And I'm like hoping that he will step up one day, hoping that he'll change, hoping that he'll become the person that I need him to be. And he was not able to be that person. And he finally told me, man, you know, um, you know, I'm feeling like God is telling me to get you guys moved in with me in Atlanta because that's where he lived. And I was like, no, God would not do something like that. Like, no, that's not right. And I was like, are you sure that's what's going on? He said, yeah, I'm certain. And I had to tell him, no, it's like, I'm not doing that. I'm not moving out there. And I'm glad I didn't because it wasn't but two or three months after he said that, that my biological dad died. And that was 2019. And I can remember being really devastated about that. And just feeling really lonely and really devastated and You know, my spiritual father, he prayed for me and let me know. He said, if you need anything, I'll be there for you. So I was just hoping that he would. And it wasn't but two weeks later after that, he was asking me for more money. So all it did was reinforce this idea, like, what the hell is wrong with you? Why are these people constantly doing this? What is wrong with you? And I'm sure there's going to be some goddamn try hard somewhere along. You should have had boundaries. You might want to listen when I said that I was a five-year-old and a 28-year-old body. I didn't even learn about what boundaries were until after my biological dad died. I didn't really even know that you were supposed to be able to have boundaries with your family and with your parents. With your friends, with anyone for that sake. And so I can remember there was a particular time with my spiritual father where, you know, we, he was about to, he was, we were about to go through a situation again. And I remember sitting in myself and I looked at myself and I just, and something really went off in me. And I said, I'm not going through this again. I said, I will never go through this again. And when I said that something really changed. And the next day, a lot of things changed for the better for me. They were still going wrong with him, but they changed for the better for me. 
And so when it got to, you know, some months passed and we got to about um, before I turned before I turned 30, it was like 29. I was I think it was like January or February. I had been talking to my my therapist um, and I told him about the situation. He said, you know, do you really still even need to talk to this brother? Because he definitely has done X, Y and Z. And I honestly thought about it in that moment. And something occurred to me, and I feel like it was one of the major moments of maturity in my life. I said to myself, if I don't learn everything that I need to learn from this man right here, this spiritual father that I have, I'll only end up bringing or drawing somebody there next to me that's going to do the exact same thing to me. So I spoke to myself and I said, you know what? The love that I give this person, I'm going to give genuinely because I want to and not because I need something from them. So what did that end up teaching me? Wasn't the healthiest of lessons. And it's one that I've been working to unlearn is that your needs are not nearly as valid as the needs of someone else's. But it also taught me to be able to give without having to absolutely need something in return, which was a healthy lesson. And I'm grateful for that. And I stuck with him, you know, I would still bless him every now and then I would still call him on the phone, let him know I loved him and stuff like that. And then my birthday came around on 30 years old and my, my, my God brother who, who was out there with him, he called me and said, man, I got to talk to you, bro. And it wasn't on my birthday, but it was like after it or something like that. I I got my hair cut and I sat down with him and I talked to him and he said, Bro, I got to tell you, because I, I had been texting my spiritual father and he was known for responding. But every now and then he wouldn't respond for a week or two. Like if he was going through something, sometimes he wouldn't respond for a week or two. And I'd been texting him and he hadn't been responding. And I was like, well, that's not entirely unusual, but it's not like him. And I talked to my brother and my brother said, man, I got to tell you, man. He said, I didn't really want to say nothing, but I have to tell you, he said on May 27th, uh, Pops passed away. I can still remember the shock and the stun that I felt and the disappointment and betrayal that I also felt and the profound relief that I also felt too because I finally felt free. With Pop gone, I finally felt free. That's what we called him was Pops. And then I also felt betrayed because all the promises that Pops made, I felt like they had died with him. Pops had made a lot of promises. He was going to do this for me. He was going to do that for me. Yeah, I gave him this, but he was going to pay that back. None of that was going to happen because he's dead. So when I say that most the the, the ideas that I've had about men have been nothing but toxic, and I've struggled with loathing about myself being a man because the things that I have seen about men have been toxic. That's what I mean. So it, 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 this, this story sharing is for me more than it is for the others. And all of this is going to mean is it means good. I mean, I can say that lots of things have been easier and better and more graceful for me now than they have ever been. But I know that in my life, I felt profoundly unlistened to sometimes. And I say, well, the reason I feel that way is because I'm not sharing. I'm not explaining what has been going on 
what I have experienced. There's so many things I still feel like I don't understand. I'm still trying to figure out how exactly to be a man that's beyond something that's just talent based. Because what does it mean to just be talented? What meaning does that assign to our life, to our mission? Okay, yeah, you might be spiritual. You might be talented. But can you regulate your feelings? Can you allow your feelings? Can you master your feelings? What meaning does it have? And so sometimes I wonder and I look. You know, at the new opportunities I have and I'm like, am I genuinely going to experience these things only to just get humiliated and laughed at again? Or is this going to be a new experience in which I experience the greater and the beautiful things that I've always wanted to? I understand the challenges happen. But your whole life doesn't have to be one. And to sit in my bed today, something came to me before I recorded this. I didn't leap or jump to try to fix things in my life. I didn't do anything. I sat there and you want to know what happened? The world kept moving on. People kept living. Nothing fell apart. My story is for me to let people know, to let myself get the chance to be heard and seen and to share my perspective. And it's also the core of what I do here. To pay it forward to others. I ain't even really tell you it's for altruistic reason. I just feel like it's my life's work. I feel like it's what I'm good at doing. But if you are going to thank me for what I do, which I appreciate all thanks, but if you really want to be a thankful person, appreciate that I kept this promise to myself to share this story. Appreciate and respect the perspective given without attempting to change or manipulate it. Appreciate what it is for what it is. If you want to really thank me. These are the experiences, the main experiences that have aided me in becoming the person that I am today. And I still have many of the same longings that I had when I was five. I guess the only difference now is that I'm kind of all right with acknowledging that and, 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 and maybe accepting it a little, maybe accepting it a little bit. I could very least acknowledge it. So my prayer is for everybody under the sound of my voice that we would be a people that would not worry about the nature of something being perfect or right, 
but just being real. Because we ain't always going to be able to be perfect or right. And we're not meant to dance to that tune of somebody else's desires, even if it's our own. So my prayer is that everybody would seek authenticity, whether you, whatever your spirituality is, that you would seek the truth. You would seek the reality. You'd seek life. You'd seek life more abundantly. And you'd seek, above all else, authenticity. So yeah, that's my prayer for everybody. In Jesus' name. Amen. I love y'all. Y'all do your thing. I appreciate y'all for rocking with me. I have no clue how long this is going to be because I'm pretty much just going to record this and let it fly and then just um, let it be what it is. So I hope y'all enjoy it. It has been a pleasure talking. And this is my story. And it's still being written. So y'all get to share in the crazy stuff and the good stuff. All right, I'll be back pretty soon. Love y'all. Peace out.